Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi everyone, welcome to Dan Snow's History. I spent quite a lot of time last year in the Channel Islands. It's an archipelago of islands off the Normandy coast. And where the rest of Normandy reverted to French control after the Hundred Years' War, the Channel Islands remained subject to the British crown. In particular, I was in the islands of Guernsey, the Bailiwick of Guernsey. These islands of Guernsey are grouped around Guernsey itself and then the smaller islands like Alderney, Sark and Herm. I was in the islands of Guernsey because they've got a fascinating wartime history. Together with the rest of the Channel Islands, they're the only British territory to be overrun by the Germans during the Second World War. They endured Nazi occupation. And we've got another podcast coming soon with some memories of people that were children under that Nazi occupation. It's a big year, 2020, to go to the islands of Guernsey. It's the 75th anniversary of their liberation from German occupation during the Second World War. They were only, the German forces on the islands only surrendered just before the end of the war itself as the Allies mopped up Nazi resistance in Germany itself. I've been working with Visit Guernsey and you guys should head out there. There is a seven-month festival from April to October, Heritage 75. They've got World War II occupation sites that aren't usually open to the public, some of which I was able to visit when I was there, which they will be opening, so you can go and uh, check all that out, guided heritage walks. But they've also got, you know, awesome things like food experience and heritage and hidden kayak, hidden cave kayak tours. They've got it all. Go to visitguernsey.com slash heritage75 for more information. You can see the documentary I made out there in Guernsey. Uh, if you go to historyhit.tv, use the code POD6, P-O-D-6, and you get six weeks totally free of charge. Check out what we're doing over there. We're trying to build the world's best history channel. Uh, and you'll be able to see some of my adventures uh, in the islands of Guernsey as well with brand new Second World War archaeology coming to light. Uh, this podcast is the account of a raid that took place on Sark, a raid that inspired the James Bond character in Ian Fleming's novels, a raid that well, had an impact on the wider strategic course of the Second World War. In this episode, you're going to hear from me, Daniel Sark. You're going to hear from Major Marco Schotti, who's an expert um, in Guernsey on the events of the raid. And you're also going to hear from historian Eric Lee. And the three of us are going to tell the story of Operation Basalt. Enjoy. <laughs> come to a headland on the south coast of Sark in the Channel Islands. I've got a low autumnal sun which is turning this cerulean blue water around me silver as it shines down over Jersey. I can see about eight miles away and this is a precipitous cliff but it wasn't too precipitous for the British commandos because here 
in October 1942. They launched one of their more famous raids. Britain had been driven out of the continent following Dunkirk in 1940. And Winston Churchill was determined that the fighting would be taken to the Germans on the continent, not just in theatres like North Africa. Firstly, they did a bunch of these. Like, this was not the only time they ever did a raid like that. And the other ones they'd done were particularly successful. And it came out of Churchill's mind. Like, Churchill couldn't bear the idea that parts of the British Isles were occupied by the Germans and nothing much was happening there. So Sark was described by the Germans as a, an Eclaida Paradis, you know, a perfect little island of paradise. The RAF wouldn't bomb it. So the Germans were there. It was like a holiday camp for them. And this was unbearable for Churchill. The commandos were formed and they carried out a series of raids. Famously, there was a large amphibious raid on Dieppe, but there were raids at places like Saint-Nazaire, there were raids in Norway, all sorts of raids. This raid on the Channel Islands was designed to gain intelligence about German building on the Channel Islands, the so-called Atlantic Wall, which was a huge series of fortifications designed to stop Allied invasion of Northwest Europe, but it was also designed to check on the people of Sark. They were subjects of His Majesty King George VI, after all. The only British subjects that have been incorporated into the Nazi German Empire. Uh, and this raid took place led by a guy called Geoffrey Appleyard. And on the night of October the 3rd, very late, just before midnight, on the night of October the 3rd, he led his men, 12 men, up this cliff that I'm standing on now and inland. It was the second attempt to land on the island. It was, a, it was the usual formula in that they were trying to take prisoners of war to uh, find out, get some intelligence and find out enemy dispositions on the island. On the night of the 3rd of October, which was actually a very hot, sunny day in Sark, the force set off an operational basalt on MTB 344, which That's was a... a, a motor torpedo boat, so yes, very, very fast. Stripped down one, which was faster than average, oh. commanded by a Lieutenant Freddie Bourne. Uh, that crossed the channel and uh, went south about Sark and approached the coupe, the causeway between Big and Little Sark, and it was challenged there by a searchlight, a German searchlight, uh, that asked them to identify themselves. They very coolly responded uh, in German with a searchlight to say that they were uh, an e-boat with engine trouble. So flashing a light on and off, so Morse code yes. in German. In German, Impressive. in German, yeah. Uh, they were given clearance, so they put into Derrible Bay next to uh, Pointe Chateau, uh, which is known locally that the headland there is the Hog's Back. They landed in what was known as a, a goatly boat, which was a collapsible wooden boat, uh, a, a very basic canvas and, and wood thing. Landed on the headland, they climbed up the rocks, scaled the rocks. It wasn't a particularly difficult climb. When they got to the top, it was full moonlight, which was time to aid them with their escape. When they got to the top, they thought they saw some uh, enemy soldiers and they waited for a while actually only to find out that they were targets because it was a range. So they proceeded from there. They have what they call primary target, which you realise when you do the research that primary target means the first house they're going to run into. Then secondary target is the second house. They had no idea what the Germans were. They know it was on the island. They, they found that like a Napoleonic cannon, which from the air they thought was a German machine gun emplacement. It turned out to be a relic of the 18th century. They were heading for the uh, first building, uh, which was a cottage in a valley nearby, and they were basically going to knock on the door and try and get any information they could. They arrived, it wasn't occupied, um, so they, they, they carried on. The point man was a, an officer called Lieutenant Anders Lassen, who was a Dane serving in the British Army. So they carried on across the valley. Lassen then led them up the other side of the valley. They followed an earth bank, which is still there. You can actually retrace it, um, and appeared at a house called La Jaspellerie, 
Uh, now, when they got there, uh, Geoffrey Appleyard decided that they were going to go in and, and find someone this time, so they actually broke a window, got inside, and Geoffrey uh, Appleyard and one of the uh, other soldiers went upstairs, and they found a lady there by herself who was one of the soldiers actually described as an elderly lady. When you look back, she was in her late 30s. Oh, ancient. <laughs> yeah. She was a Mrs Pittard. She was recently widowed. She'd been married to the doctor of Sark, who was a very popular man. She was very helpful. She told them everything she knew about the Germans there. She gave, um, gave them some uh, copies of the, the local newspaper and uh, she let them take some food. And this was quite interesting. They were keen to take that. And it was, the commanders wanted to take it back to be analysed, to see the quality of the food, of the bread that was being produced, uh, to get an idea of how hungry everybody was there. So once they'd completed that, Geoffrey Appleyard offered her the opportunity to return to England with them. Um, she declined, but they asked where the nearest Germans were. She indicated that they were just up the track at what is now a hotel. So. It was about 150 metres away and we're pretty certain of the route that they took to get there. It was a covered route. They made their way up towards this building, the D-car it's called. There were basically, there were some German pioneers, some engineers were billeted there. And these were chaps who, they weren't frontline soldiers, they were engineers who were working on the defences of Kruer Harbour, uh, putting up a, a sort of a, a barricade there. There was one man on guard. So they stopped in what would have been their final assault position for what we probably call it now. Um, and interestingly, the man who used to own the property was an ex-army officer and uh, he uh, was visited by the radio operator from this raid who actually talked him through the whole thing and what happened on the night. And you can see where they actually stopped and from where Anders Lassen went forward to do the close recce, he found one German sentry on guard who was like most centuries in the middle of the night, um, you know, was just ambling around, not paying that much attention. He went back, reported to Appleyard and said that he could handle it. So Appleyard sent him forward and uh, Anders Lassen killed him with a knife. He stabbed him in the back with a Furban Sykes dagger. And they said they could hear, the radio operator said you could hear the muffled noise, the, 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 the cry um, go up. So they were in basically. Once they heard that, they went forward, they left the radio operator plus one in the final assault position so that they, they could escape afterwards. They were then looking for prisoners, so there was an annex on the side of the D-car, which was a corrugated iron building. It was actually half an old Presbyterian chapel, which the Sarkis had bought from, from Wales. And this was uh, accommodation for the, for, for the soldiers. Appleyard organised everybody, they got inside in, in the connecting corridor, and on his signal, they each went into a room to seize the soldiers that were in there. There's an account from one of the corporals who was involved, Corporal Redbourne, um, which it was a, a slightly chaotic, a bit comical, in that, um, of course, the German soldiers didn't know what was going on. Corporal Redbourne said that he pulled the blanket off the soldier in his room, who pulled the blanket back up again. This happened three or four times. They didn't know what was going on. And then they started fighting, and it was quite a, a fist fight. They got the prisoners out into the corridor, and there were quite a few of them, so they tied them up. That's where the problems really began. Uh, while they were in the corridor and they were getting more prisoners out, some of the prisoners, uh, German prisoners, realised that actually there weren't many commandos there, so they started acting up a bit and started giving them trouble. It got to the point where the commandos were struggling to keep control of them. These guys were, were, were starting to make a noise, the, the prisoners, and they attempted to break free. One of them woke the rest of the guards. They called out the guards. So by this stage, the, the British commanders had real trouble. They were outnumbered and they didn't know where the Germans were coming from. They were probably surrounded. It's said then that uh, one of the officers gave the order to shoot 
prisoners. Certainly there was shooting and fighting. Apparently, Corporal Resborn says that Anders Lassen just held on to two prisoners himself without shooting and managed to keep them under control. One of them, in his account, said that the, uh, he, he had a particularly big prisoner. He ended up fighting with him on the ground. Uh, quite nasty punch-up and lots of shooting. There's still uh, splash, there's still bullet damage on one of the cottages over there from it because the guard had come out and really no one could see anything. It was dark, they were shooting. Um, Appleyard managed to get them away and they got away with one prisoner. This is After Dark, myths, misdeeds and the paranormal. The podcast that takes you to the shadiest corners of the past, unpicking history's spookiest, strangest and most sinister stories. I'm Maddie Pelling. And I'm Anthony Delaney. Join us every Monday and Thursday and we'll take a look at the darker side of history, from haunted pubs to Houdini to witch trials and arsenic-laced breakfasts. Follow After Dark, myths, misdeeds and the paranormal wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by History Hit. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful. Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And also remember, when you use a messaging app, they shrink the photos. You cannot print those out. You cannot blow them up. This is high-quality imagery going to one of the most important people in your life. The Aura app is super easy to set up. It takes about two minutes, and you're going to love it. There's free unlimited storage. Add unlimited photos and videos and invite as many people as you want to a frame. Right now, Aura has got a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code DANSNOW at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. They got not just any German. This is like one of the unknown things about it. When you do a little bit of research and digging, the guy they got was the commander of the group. When all the others began running away, panicking and thinking they could do this, the one guy who kind of knew what he was doing, the commander, realized this is really a stupid idea. We'll just go with the British and get in the boat. And, you know, there's no reason to resist. We could die. And they did die, some of them. So the guy they captured actually was the one guy who could tell them stuff about the mines. And, and not, not just in, um, in Sark, they had just come from France. So he could talk about stuff that was very relevant to the D-Day landings. And it was, he was considered a gold mine of intelligence. So there were no British casualties. Uh, they got one prisoner and they killed three who are buried in Fort George Cemetery over here. They retraced their route in the dark, running flat out, and they were pursued by the whole guard. They rode their little dory out to the waiting motor torpedo boat, which had been given strict instructions to leave by 2.30 in the morning if Appleyard had not returned. It was now 3.30, and as they rode out to 
this most torpedo boat. They heard its engines go on. It was about to abandon them. They made it to the boat in the nick of time and it was able to power back across the channel at around 40 knots, making it back to British waters before daybreak. Germans didn't know what hit them. Right? They didn't, it, was, it is pitch black. They have no idea what's going on. They know there's been some shooting and some guys have been taken. They don't know what's happened. And in the morning, they find some bodies. And they realize that some of their men had been, you know, the British have gotten away and some of the men had been killed. And the men who had been killed them had their hands tied. Word goes to Hitler. He says, this is a war crime. He's shocked. You know, imagine Hitler thinking, you know, he's the, the hypocrisy. This is unbelievable. He's like absolutely shocked that somebody would do such a thing. And he issued, mainly as a result of this raid, but influenced by other commando activity, he issued his infamous commando order. He said that the commandos should not be subject to the Geneva Convention because they were fighting in a, in a criminal manner. He said, in future, all terror and sabotage troops of the British and their accomplices who do not act like soldiers, but rather like bandits, will be treated as such by German troops and will be ruthlessly eliminated in battle wherever they appear. Of course, in discussions afterwards and analyses, it's debatable whether it's a war crime. You're not allowed to, to bind prisoners. However, on the battlefield, while removing a prisoner, someone's becoming a prisoner, it apparently is legal to bind them. You can't bind them in the camps, but on their way to the camps, you're allowed to. So the British had a, had a defense of this. It was not illegal. And also, it was under battlefield conditions. They were saving, if they had not done this, the Germans would, one of them actually started beating up the British, even with his hands tied. Some realized what a horrific order it was. I think the Rommel was one of them who refused to carry it out. But the commander in Norway and several of the others really did take this seriously and began executing Allied prisoners in cold blood. So the, the, that was a terrible repercussion. And so you, you kind of weigh all the Allied commandos who were executed, weigh that to the intelligence collected on Sark, okay, maybe it wasn't worth it in that sense. But they couldn't have anticipated that the Nazis would start executing Allied prisoners. Some of the people involved in the raid would go on to play a huge important role in special forces and indeed in the foundation of the SAS. Yes, that's right. It was an interesting unit, the SSRF. There were more officers probably than soldiers. Um, and they all, as you say, a lot of them went on to play a, a key role in the rest of the war. Geoffrey Appleyard had done his holidays as a child there. So he guided them. His guidebook was a, a, a walking guide. It had been published in the, like 1906, which is still in print. That's how they got them around the island. And so he, he used to climb the cliffs there for fun. And they, they built a model, and he looked at home movies. His family had a movie camera. They'd made home movies on Sark. He looked at those to prepare for the raid. So it was kind of farcical and amateurish or whatever, but the results were spectacular. And Churchill demanded to meet with Appleyard immediately afterwards in Downing Street, and they met and they talked, you know. Churchill was very proud of what they'd done. Jeffrey Appleyard formed part of one of the, uh, the earlier SAS units, and uh, he was the ops officer, and he was involved with the invasion of Sicily. A very sad story, two of his men were jumping into Sicily to organise the partisans. Uh, he briefed them uh, and they were going to, to, to jump from an aircraft and as he was walking past them, just on a spur of the moment, he decided he'd go with them just to see them off. Is the sort of thing that, that, that you might do. So he climbed aboard and the aircraft was never seen again. It's believed that it, it was probably a blue on blue, probably shot down by maybe by a, a US battleship. So invasion of Sicily, that was less than a year after he landed here in Sark. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. All the officers on the raid were killed during the war. Not a single officer survived. There was that, that kind of bravery that in, inevitably they were all going to die. They all had illustrious careers, brave careers, you know, throughout the war. 
Anders Lassen is a very well-known figure in uh, the world of special forces because the raid on Sark, in his account, that was the first time that he killed, uh, killed a man with a knife. And from there, his war just got bigger and bigger and, and more notorious. Some of the fighting that he did in the islands in the Mediterranean, he's credited with clearing one side of a street by himself. Um, Sir Peter de la Billiere's book has got a chapter about him, some extraordinary things that he did. But he went on to be a squadron commander in one SAS. And sadly, he was involved in the uh, raid at Lake Camacchio in, in northern Italy just before the end of the war when he was personally leading a squadron. It's a very shallow lake and they were advancing down a very narrow causeway so there, there, there was no way out. Uh, they came under fire, returned fire. It was quite a, a serious firefight. But then the enemy position put up the white flag and he went forward to take the flag. It was a ruse and he was killed and the rest of the squadron piled in and, and finished the job. But so that, that was the end of his war. He was the only non-Commonwealth soldier in the Second World War to be awarded the Victoria Cross. Uh, it was a Dane, an, an aristocrat, and quite, quite a character, quite a lot written about him. Did the Germans crack down on the people of Sark after? I mean, Sark, did Sark um, remain quite a cushy place? To... No, not at all. They, they, they immediately began deportations, and they started with the husband, who was American, of the Dame of Sark. He's one of the first that was taken off. A very large group was taken off right after that. So, I mean, they weren't punished in the way you'd be punished if you were in Poland, you know, or Ukraine. I mean, this was a different level of, of punishment. The Germans always treated the British with kid gloves. They were very careful how they treated the Channel Islanders, as you know. But this, they, it got pretty brutal and pretty nasty at that point. And they reinforced Sark. I mean, they put many, many more mines. And Sark became much more of a fortress after that, for no reason. This is an important milestone marking the further descent of German forces into criminality and barbarism. As for Mrs. Pittard, she was arrested, she was deported, she was sent to a camp in Germany where she spent the rest of the war. But then, this remarkable woman, who opened the door in her nightclothes and gave such valuable help to the commandos, came back to Sark, where she lived until her death in 1969, and she's buried just up the way here in the churchyard. I feel we have the history upon our shoulders. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished and liquidated. One child, one teacher, one book, and one pen can change the world. He tells us what is possible, not just in the pages of history books, but in our own lives as well. I have faith in you. Hi everyone, it's me, Dan Snow. Just a quick request. It's so annoying, and I hate it when other podcasts do this, but now I'm doing it, and I hate myself. Please, please go on to iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps, and basically boosts up the chart, which is good, and then more people listen, which is nice. So if you could do that, I'd be very grateful. I understand if you don't subscribe to my TV channel. I understand if you don't buy my calendar, but this is free. Come on, do me a favor. Thanks. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.